I'm reading from Isaiah 49, 14 through 16. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraven you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. So when you're here, testing. Testing. Try this one more time. <laughs> All right, here we go. So when you hear a phrase like this, don't forget me, what do you think of when you hear that phrase? Well, you may think of a uh, you know doomed summer romance, you know summer camp romance. Don't forget me. Or you may think of high school musicals. You know, friends are friend forever. You may think of uh, heart-rending movies like uh, Roman Holiday. You know, where there's like this, this romance that's just like doomed, like they separated by class, don't forget me. Uh, you, may, you may even think about a love song, you know, hello from the other side. But really, what is a person asking when they are saying, don't forget me? Well, they're saying, I don't want you to pass from my mind they're saying, please don't let the time and distance that's about to come separate us. Come to me if possible. Continue to care for me. Don't leave me on my own. And really, that's what I think all of us fear, just a little bit, being left on our own. When we have that dawning realization that somebody who cared for us no longer does so, that no one is looking out for us. We're especially vulnerable when we find ourselves in that kind of situation. When we find ourselves in an extended season of time or a situation that is very difficult, and then that difficulty gets longer and God just seems to be silent or inactive. When we arrive at that point in which we have to draw some kind of conclusion, so I'm in a tough situation, God seems silent, and then you're going to come to some conclusion, I am forgotten or not forgotten. Now, there are many variations of situations and seasons that we may find ourselves in where we have exhausted our natural resources, we have done everything we know how to do, and yet the season or situation doesn't change. I've heard some variations as, as people have let me walk with them over the past couple of months. One person said, 
I worked so hard and then I fell again. I'm back in rehab and I just don't understand. I followed parenting guidance to the best of my ability. I, I did everything that I was told. I, I tried to walk with God and model it. And, and now my kids aren't hearing me anymore. And they're making bad choices. I'm scared for them. I've updated my resume. I've kept my LinkedIn profile up to date. I've been on Indeed. I've been on Monster. And there are just no good leads. I'm not sure what to do next. I live with chronic pain. The procedures helped little, if at all. And I just don't want to live this way. Our country even seems to be in some kind of collective reckoning, I've heard it called, with our past, so that there are just convulsions of division. And we can't even agree on the problems, much less the solutions. Perhaps even, there's a church that loves God, and its people are fully vested, and you're entering into a time where everything has been very, very healthy, and now you're entering a time of transition and waiting. I'm sure, I can't even pretend to know what your situation is. There are probably a hundred different varieties of seasons that we find ourselves in. And they may be perplexing, and you could add your perplexing experience to this list, as could I. The setting of Isaiah adds yet another one. Isaiah 49 finds the people of Zion, which is a way of saying the people of Judah. In other words, that was their, their holy city. Finds them at the end of a 70-year exile, when suddenly their prophets are telling them that the exile is over that the kingdom is coming, that they can go home, and that this person, this servant, is going to come and raise them up. In the past 150 years, they had been saved from one rising power, Assyria, and then their ally turned against them and took them over, Babylon. And then they endured a series of exportations, four of them, in which all the, the majority of the people were taken out of, their, of Palestine and leaving Zion, this city, Jerusalem, a shell of what it was. And now they're further discomforted by the fact that Cyrus of Persia, Cyrus of Persia has said, you guys can go home now. And, uh, and so even though they've been ex in exile for 70 years, they still made a life there. Like they took God's, God's um word to them to go ahead and build houses, marry, raise your children. And it was the only life that many of them had ever known. And now they're hearing, you need to uproot and go back. They're despondent. And yet in verse 13, right before the verses that were just read, God tells them to sing for joy and exult, O earth, break forth into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. So he says, now I'm about to do something new in your midst. Now that's a lot to take in for people. So as we endure our custom-made difficult seasons, you're in one, I'm in one, and God tarries. He waits. I want our conclusion to be today that we are not forgotten. 
I want to suggest a couple of strategies that I can see in Isaiah chapter 49 that we just read. And it was just read in your hearing, but it's short, so I'd like to read it again. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. For the first strategy, I'm going to borrow a phrase that is probably heard in many of the homes that may have frustrated preschoolers in it. Use your words. Now, this phrase actually gets used in our house sometimes for those members of our family who have a hard time connecting their feelings with words, and it encourages them to do so and name those feelings. Use your words. Now, in verse 13, God had just encouraged them to, to rejoice because he was about to do something for them, but this perplexes them further. It says, but Zion said. So God says, rejoice, I'm about to do something. And they say, mm, I've got a question here. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. They've put their doubt into words. Now, I want you to notice that they use the covenant name of God. In some of your copies of scripture that you have, you may see that all of the letters are capitalized, just denoting the covenant name of God. And then they say another name, denoted by the initial caps, my Lord, Master. They are addressing him in the utmost respect. They're even acknowledging a personal connection with him. But they're wondering what I think we all wonder at every, some from time to time. I know God cares. I know God is faithful. I know that he is powerful. But does God care for me? Now, a study of the word abandoned or forsaken in Scripture um, is going to show that it's actually a shared experience. In fact, the person who is most often forsaken or abandoned in Scripture is God. <laughs> it's us doing the abandoning. But there are times where God has abandoned those who have abandoned him. You may remember from Sunday school stories of old, King Saul the king that God raised up but then abandoned when Saul kept on going his own way. Several hundred years before, God even said this, because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. And so for Zion here, the question needed to be asked. They're asking the question, is that my situation? Is it possible, God, that you have turned your back and forsaken us? We're hearing that you're going to move on our behalf. We're hearing that we can come out of exile, that our exile is over. We're hearing that this kingdom is coming and, and that your servant is going to restore us. We know that you're our covenant God, but we have broken covenant with you so many times. We know that you are the master, but we have served other masters. And so, is this prophetic word for us? Have you not finally turned your back on us and left us to our own devices? 
are we not on our own? Now, rather than assign these words to the category of lack of faith, I would say that it's good that they got them into the open. Better to get them there and have them addressed than hold them inside and allow them to poison them. I mentioned frustrated preschool preschoolers who are just despairing of being understood. That's why you melt down, because you, 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 you don't think they're going to understand you. And a gentle parent might say that. Use your words. What, what are you reminding them of? You're reminding them that the effort of putting words to feelings is important, and it is good. To avoid concluding that we are forgotten, it is much better to use our words. And we can do that in a number of different places. We can do it to a spouse, possibly, if that's possible. You can do it to a friend, a counselor, a community group. You can do it to God while you're on a drive or while you're in the shower. Now, we tend to think, some of us, that putting, actually voicing our doubts is a lack of faith. But the very fact that we voice them to God is faith. The only lack of faith is to pretend that God doesn't know that God doesn't care. Sometimes the words that we speak may sound like the Psalms. A while back, uh, we had a series that in the Psalms called Words to Say. The Psalms are a great place to go to see just like the heart cry of godly people who are reaching out to God. And they may sound like this in Psalm 38. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Or they may sound like a Facebook post that my little sister posted on the one-month date of losing her husband. She wrote this, Sometimes when I fix my heart on the thought of heaven, my suffering feels light and short, like everything will be made new soon, and it really won't be long before I'm reunited with him again. Other times I remember that in earthly years, I'm not all that old, and I have three kids depending on me for everything, and it all feels long and huge and heavy again. So each day we crawl through the gauntlet of big and small hard things. Sometimes it continues well into the night, then the next day we do it again, trying not to look past the current hard moment to the next one until its turn comes. These are both ways of putting our words and our hurts into words. And that is a good thing. Use your words. Whether that is in a journal, whether it's to a person, whether it's in prayer, use your words. And God answers their words. And as he does, he highlights a fact about life on this earth. In life, we may, in fact, experience being forgotten. Which is why it's so important not only to use our words, but to face our reality. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Now, in terms of attachment, perhaps the greatest bond that we know is that between a mother and a child. Now, a father and a child have a bond, but not that one is special. And we may even see this as a rhetorical question. When it says, can a man, can a woman forget her nursing child? We we would tend to say, no, no, of course not. That just doesn't happen. 
We wouldn't be surprised if God said, my love is like that. We'd go, oh, wow, that's great. If God said, my love is like a nursing mother's love for her child, we say, well, that is, that is a love indeed. But he doesn't say that. He surprises us by confirming that the almost unthinkable does happen. In those times, pagans did commit their children to the flames. In our times, totalitarian regimes actually um, motivate people to selective abortion. Babies are left on doorsteps, both literally and figuratively. There are moms who stand by and do not act with compassion. And that is a form of forgetting. When we do not hear and move with compassion, that is a forgetting. It's kind of a do what the doer does kind of thing. So even if they remember, the failure to act with compassion is still forgetting. Sometimes our reality in this life is that we are forgotten. The Bible is full of people who were. They were, in fact, exposed and abandoned and kicked out. In other words, they were forgotten. Some of them reflect situations that once we strip away some of the cultural trappings, may actually sound familiar. For instance, Hagar. She was a victim of a practice that to us is very, very repulsive, though it was very um, common in that day. She was forced to bear the child of a master with very little to say in it only to have her jealous mistress kick her out into a wilderness with scant provision. It isn't really a, a good situation at all. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. There are times in life where we may be put in a situation where our very presence is galling to someone. There's nothing you can do to make it not so, and they will do whatever they can to remove you from their presence. A young Egyptian armor bearer in 1 Samuel 30, and David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. So here we have a situation in which expediency led this young man who fell sick during a forced march to be left behind and um, was going to be captured by his enemies. You may find yourself in a situation where you are just too weak to keep up. As such, the promotion goes to someone else, the pink slip is issued, the organization moves on. This, too, is a form of being forgotten. Paul, but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Being left outside the city walls is always a way of being cast out. His enemies finally caught up with him and did their worst. His message was simply too threatening. They dusted their hands and they left him outside the gate for a dishonorable burial. There could be a time in our life or somewhere in the world where there is persecution where the enemies actually get the worst of you. They do their very worst. 
they get the upper hand and they have their way. But God says, even these may forget. It may be your experience. God acknowledges that the unthinkable can and does happen in this life. Yes, the person that shouldn't forget you does. Part of your reality may be that you are forgotten, and you may feel forgotten even by God. You're at a pivotal time when you feel that feeling, when you first realize, like, I think I'm alone in this. I don't think anyone is caring for me. I am not on anybody's mind. You can feed that feeling. You can reinforce it. You can try to sedate it. You can stuff it down and ignore it. Or you can bring it into the light, use your words. You can pretend like it isn't happening, or you can face that reality and see it for what it is. But at that moment, you're about to do some translating. You're going to take this situation, this extended experience, you're going to take the silence of God and you're going to translate it in some way. And when you reach that pivotal point, there's something else you have to do. You've got to hear the promises. The promise here is, yet I will not forget you. Although God acknowledges that, yes, the unthinkable does happen sometimes, he says, not with me. I don't forget. So it is up to you and I never to mistranslate my reality that I may be facing as thinking that God has forgotten me. There are times where I may abandon him. There may be times where his hand of discipline is upon me, but we are never forgotten. Even of those that I listed just a moment ago, of Hagar, he raised up a nation. Of the Egyptian, we're assuming that he became part of David's band and came into a covenant community contact. Paul was raised up and continued his call. You may be fired. You may be left behind as weak. You may even be persecuted or left for dead. But God says to uncertain, vulnerable people at those moments, here are promises. And I would say just as powerful as promises God gives us pictures. When you are in that moment, when I am in that moment where I am considering this, maybe God does not care for me. I hope that pictures begin to flash in your mind. A mother with a baby and say, no, she may forget. My God does not. He gives another picture. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You can put an exclamation mark after that. Behold, behold, I'm about to show you something. Get this. I'm about to tell you something shocking. A master, the sovereign Lord, mind you, inscribes the names of the servant on his hands. Well, no, no, that's all wrong. Like servants can take their master's mark. Masters don't take the servant's mark. God says, I can't forget what is always before me. You are always before me. Not to, be, not to be trite about it, but it's almost as if you have the student in class inking his love interest hand on the name so that it is before him at all times. God is saying, I don't forget what is before me all the time. And this is so like God. 
Instead of calling us up to meet his expectations, instead he as the master steps down and says, I will come to you. Thus he assures us that we will never be forgotten. He also says that your walls are ever before me. Remember, he's talking to Zion, a city, and the people that, that are in it. But this just reminds us that, that God, who lives in eternity, has actually come down into our history. We are creatures. Time is a creature. We are a creature. And God says, I know even your walls. I know your locations. It is still before me. He knows 316 Red Mill Road. He knows Five Battle Drive. God knows our walls. There's an interesting interplay between the nation and the identity of this servant. The servant in verse 3 of chapter 49, and we're not going to look at it right now, but the servant is called Israel. And so you think like, okay, so it's a nation. So Israel is the servant. But then it became pretty clear that this is an individual, one who is going to raise up the tribes of Judah and bring back the survivors of Israel. We saw that, we see that in verse six. So, but the thing is, while Israel, the nation, is actually really, really despondent, so God says, hey, I'm about to do something new for you, and they go, but I think you've forgotten us. They're despondent, but this servant hears everything and always responds to God's voice. He excels in faith and in character. And so, as the book goes on, and we see what happens to this servant in Isaiah 53, which is called the suffering servant, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. So who was this one that the master willed to crush who was the one that would make an offering for guilt and yet would still see his offspring and live forever? And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this answers the question, on what basis can you and I never be forgotten? Who was this one who was forgotten indeed? God hid his face from him. God stood by and did not have compassion while he was crushed. He was crushed so that the guilty could be pardoned. He was forsaken so that his offspring would never be. And today in heaven, he bears marks. And where does he bear them? On the palms of his hands. And this is the one who says... I will never leave you or forsake you. And behold, I am with you until the end of the age. There is no better time than this season of Advent, this season of waiting, to relive this experience. That's why we do this year after year, so that we can enter into this story. There's no better time to come to know the one who is forsaken so that you would not be. 
there's no better time for those of us who are asking hard questions because we're in a hard time of life to put our faith in the one who took nails for us. And there's no better time for a church entering a time in which God is doing a new thing to affirm that our names are on his hands. Our walls are before him. He knows our location and our context. So we can endure what we're in because we won't be forgotten. And we won't be forgotten as long as there is a Christ in heaven and as long as there are nail scars in his hands. And so, difficult season, difficult situation, yes. Does God seem silent sometimes? Perhaps. But the conclusion that I hope we reach today is I am not forgotten. Let's pray. Lord, your promises are throughout your word where you said that this one would come. And he did. Lord, you said that you are a covenant-keeping God, and you are. You've said that you are a sovereign God and you are in control. You're that too. But God, today I pray that you would impress on our hearts that you are a God who does not forget, who knows each one of us in a personal way. Lord, I do pray for those who are in prolonged suffering, that this picture would become very, very real to them. Lord, for those who long for a reunion, God, I pray that they would see that you understand their grief. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word and for your promises, and even more than your promises, your pictures that you give us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.